if you've ever listened to a podcast or read one of my books and thought, I wish I knew if that was the right thing for my body, or how could I make that work with my schedule and responsibilities, I've got something for you. A new workbook by me coming out late spring. My Perfect Movement Plan, the Move Your DNA all-day workbook, is for your specific situation because you are going to finish writing it. When you're finished, you will have a guide to a personalized movement diet that nourishes your body in the ways that you need it to. My Perfect Movement Plan is available for pre-order now, and if you pre-order from the publisher, there's a bonus, a free ticket to an upcoming online workshop, Spot the Missing Micronutrients. It's a 90-minute class where you'll learn about five often missing movement micronutrients, and these are subtle movements of the body. In this case, we'll be looking in the shoulders and the hips and the feet that are often tied to pain or injury in those areas. In this workshop, I'll also show you how to supplement with exercise vitamins. I'm putting air quotes around vitamins and how to adjust your regular movement so exercise supplementation isn't as necessary. Pre-order now at mpmpbook.com. That's my perfect movement plan, mpmpbook.com. And you'll automatically receive a bonus class ticket. But wait, there's more. Um, I'm going to be drawing three names from these pre-orders and these peeps are going to get a small group session with me to go over your perfect movement plan. So you can ask me questions and we'll brainstorm your specific situation on a Zoom call together. I cannot wait. So head over to mpmpbook.com for all the details on the book and the bonuses. Read through the frequently asked questions, order the book, get the class, and then get moving. I'm so excited to share this workbook. It's the missing puzzle piece you've been waiting for, and it's so very actionable. This is the Move Your DNA podcast, a show where movement science meets your everyday life. I'm Katie Bowman, biomechanist, author, and wearer of minimal footwear. All bodies are welcome here. Let's get moving. I have written two books on feet and shoes, Whole Body Barefoot and Simple Steps to Foot Pain Relief, The New Science of Healthy Feet. So why have I done this? A few reasons. First, the feet are some of the most complex musculoskeletal anatomy in the body. Although they are small, they're smaller than your thighs or your upper arms or your pelvis, the feet simply have more moving parts than in any other area of the body. So you've got all of these moving parts, parts that need regular movement in order to keep being able to move, stacked beneath the weight of the entire body, meaning we ask a lot of our feet that the feet bear the brunt of our body weight when we're up and moving around. And that's fine because their anatomy is so very capable of movement. But then we keep our feet and all of their moving parts from moving the bulk of our life, the bulk of their life, through really stiff footwear. And so all those moving parts, they start losing the ability to move well. But the feet still have to carry our body weight around. And this gets harder and harder because we offer no training to the feet. We remove their training, but ask that they still carry us around. 
until they can't anymore. One joint or one area just gets loaded too much on the foot, and soon you can't move your entire body at all. So this is why I've written two books on feet. A lot of people's feet will keep them from moving their entire body. And this has less to do with having genetically bad feet or having feet that are just too old, and more with the fact that most people have neglected moving the parts in their feet their entire life. So they've got movement-starved feet, which I know is counterintuitive because aren't the feet moved just by us getting up and moving around? And my answer is kind of, but not really. You have a lot of parts in the feet, and as I've already said, all of those parts need their own movement, and they're just not getting it. So the solution to stronger feet that I lay out in both books almost always involves transitioning to minimal footwear. So these are shoes, types of shoes, that allow the foot to move much, much more than in, than conventional shoes do. But when you have foot pain, it can also, again, be counterintuitive. Don't I need to move my foot less? Wouldn't less movement make my already aching feet feel better? And that's a tricky question because sometimes injuries do need to be immobilized to heal. And sometimes wrapping our feet in stiff shoes makes the foot move a lot in one spot, but not much in others. So the solution is to keep maybe that one spot from moving, but also moving all the other parts more. And this is It takes learning. It takes investing the time to understand how feet work and also how shoes work so that you're able to keep the features that you might need but let let go some of the features that you don't. So I'm going to keep talking feet today, but I am not going to continue on alone. Today, my guest is podiatrist Dr. Ray McClanahan. He attended Pennsylvania College of Podiatric Medicine, and then he completed a two-year podiatric surgical residency training in Portland, Oregon at Legacy Health Systems and Kaiser Permanente as a podiatric physician and surgeon. Dr. Ray's current practice is Northwest Foot and Ankle in Portland, Oregon. In his 25 years as a podiatrist, he has learned that most foot problems can be corrected by restoring natural foot function. He is also the inventor of correct toes. These are silicone toe spacers, and we're going to talk about toe spacers and toe abduction in this episode as well. His professional goal is to provide quality, natural foot health services with an emphasis on sports medicine preventive and conservative options, as well as education on proper footwear. He is also a longtime minimalist practitioner and advocate. He is also an active runner, an athlete, and we're going to talk about his journey a little bit. In 1999, he finished 14th in the U.S. National Men's Cross-Country Championships and had a near Olympic trials qualifying 5,000-meter mark of 13 minutes and change, He then qualified for the World Duathlon Championships in 2001. Okay, so uh, Dr. Ray, welcome to the Move Your DNA podcast. Uh, Thank you so much, Katie. It's great to be with you. I just got to meet you in person and we had a nice uh, dinner together not that long ago. So I just wanted to bring you onto the podcast because I thought your story was really compelling. We definitely have a, a very large audience of minimal footwear wearing folks. But a lot of times the questions I get are 
my podiatrist actually says not to wear them or that this wouldn't be a solution. And I know minimal footwear can be a it's not, it's more complex than we think it is. I think it's just like, look for these features in the shoes and like, it's all good from that. And that's all you need. But I thought that discussing it with you would, would give more food for thought for people out there. And they would know how they could talk to their own healthcare team or, or reconcile the difference of an, in opinions of what they're hearing. Yeah, absolutely, Katie. You're, you're definitely right. Not all minimal footwear is created equal. In fact, this has been such a problem over the last 15 or 20 years that a group of us got together and we actually published a paper called the Minimalist Index. And so we we really just broke down all the various characteristics of a minimal shoe because you're absolutely right. They're not all created equal. You've got something like a Vibram Five Fingers very close to being completely barefoot. And then you've got some shoe companies describing their shoes as minimal, but they're large and they're heavy and you know, they've got features that we would consider to be healthy. So you're right. There needs to be more education and more defining about, you know, what shoe is going to be good for what person and for when, because these things change too, as you well know, the farther along our journey we get, we become less reliant on some features that previously we might've needed. There's a wonderful woman out there now. I'm not sure if you've come across Anya of Anya's Reviews. Yeah, I've met her online. Is that a thing? But yes, <laughs> I know who she awesome. is and what she does. Yeah, she's great. She's done a really good job of like breaking down uh, different categories of shoes, including like the shape of the toe box and like what kind of foot would that be for? And so, yeah, we, d- we definitely need to keep having the conversation about how to define it and how to make sure that we get the right product to the right individual. And then the other thing I'm hoping that you and I can touch on briefly is something that I'm sure you talk to people about, which is the transition period. Right. You, know, you just mentioned that the podiatry community is telling these folks that, that this kind of footwear, whether you call it minimal, whether you call it barefoot, whether you call it, I, I like the term functional or natural. You're right. The podiatry community is actually trained to tell people to never walk barefoot. I just had this conversation with a patient an hour ago. There's also been a couple of studies that were kind of faulty when the book Born to Run came out. I'm sure you're probably familiar with that book. A lot of people saw the wisdom and value in using our bare feet more and wearing footwear that was healthier for us. But you may also be familiar with the the reality that a lot of people did it suddenly. Mm-hmm. And I know you're very wise about the body and changes that can take place in the body, but those changes take time. And there was one study in particular where they did an MRI study looking at people who suddenly transitioned from their regular athletic shoe to, a, I think it was a Vibram Five Fingers and didn't change anything else and then did an MRI of their metatarsal bones eight weeks later and saw bone marrow edema. You know, so not only was the study way too small, wasn't necessarily a predictor of any kind of foot pathology, but those were the kind of things that were leading the medical community, I think, to uh, discourage people from pursuing minimal shoes, barefoot shoes. You have got such a body of knowledge of, here's what we're told about feet. But I'd like to inform those listening, how do podiatrists view the feet? Yeah. What's a, what's a, a short way of saying, like, we see feet as this and shoes as this? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And that's uh, probably one of the more important questions you can ask, because I frequently talk to folks about the podiatry community is very much like an allopathic community. In other words, if we can make symptoms go away, we consider that success. The definition or what podiatry usually considers uh, the pathology and feet to be coming from is either overuse, heredity, biomechanical issues, which are your area, is your area of expertise, and maybe a few rare conditions, um, but they don't necessarily consider 
footwear to be a causative agent. In fact, they mm-hmm. oftentimes look at footwear as a, a health tool. In other a words, solution. lots of cushioning is yeah, yeah. good. Arch support is good. In fact, one of the sad realities is that we accept a lot of money from athletic shoe companies whose footwear design is not shaped anything like a natural human foot. Um, so two, two words that come to mind, Katie, to answer your question. Um, podiatrists are taught that feet are evolutionarily flawed, meaning that feet haven't kept up with the rest of the body. There's literally a belief system that because our fifth toes are dysfunctional, that they're vestigial organs and that they have no purpose. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, we could have a whole podcast on the definition of vestigial because just because something is obsolete in an, in an environment, if that's a definition, so be it. But make sure that you're clearly making it a uh, relative to an environment versus relative to a person argument. You need to be really clear when you do that. Exactly. Yeah. So we're taught that feet are going to need help. We're taught that the reasons why feet break down are the, the reasons I mentioned. Hereditary, it runs in your family, nothing you can do about it. You're overpronating, and thankfully, the literature is pointing out that that's not necessarily the case. So, there's a negative mindset. In fact, it persists to this day, which is why I think that not that many podiatrists are that keen keen about strengthening people's feet, aligning them, and rebuilding them. And that's the nature of our work. So, so yeah, I think uh, podiatry maybe overemphasizes protection of the feet rather than rebuilding or rehabilitating the feet. And I feel exactly the opposite now, Katie. I feel like feet are so much more capable than what we ever accomplish until we challenge them. And for your audience, it might bear mentioning that I've been around the world. I lived in the jungles of Africa where people didn't own shoes. And I saw some feet that performed remarkably well in all kinds of environments, climbing trees, barefoot, playing soccer, running across gravel, so, yeah, I think podiatry, unfortunately, doesn't really understand the developmental capabilities of feet. And that's really what I'm excited to partner with folks like you to teach. So how, what is your, what was your journey to minimal footwear? So I, I'm, I guess I'm assuming, and I, because we talked a little bit, that you got your perspective on minimal footwear sort of after podiatry school. What, what was the story around that? Yeah, in 1999, I received a journal uh Podiatry Management Magazine, which I received monthly, and there was an article in there titled, titled Why Shoes Make Normal Gait Impossible. Mm-hmm. And I watched everybody on the treadmill, looked at their pronation and early heel off and all the things I was taught to look at. But Dr. Rossi, who wrote that article, was a very rare and unique podiatrist. He traveled all over the world. He, was, he worked in a shoe store. He retired from podiatry because he didn't want to just treat people. He knew that the feet were way more capable than what he was taught in podiatry. Your audience might enjoy the uh, the articles. There's four of his articles on our website. But when I read the article, I didn't hear anything about what he taught me in podiatry school. And quite frankly, it didn't sit well with me for a few days. Um, I He planted the seed in me that maybe we could rebuild feet, and that maybe the foot structure that people had uh, in podiatry school wasn't necessarily the one they were going to have for the rest of their life. Um, so he was my early uh, a mentor, if you will, my early inspiration. He he got me thinking about a few concepts, which we've since changed the definition of the footwear world, but he talked about a flat shoe. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the term zero drop. He just said flat. You don't want to have a heel elevation on your shoe. It shortens your calf muscle. And subsequent to his death, there's been medical research that has proven that. 
He also referred to flat being you didn't want a toe spring. So for your audience members that's not familiar, you don't want the end of the toe box above the ball of your foot. And I think the most important feature that he got me thinking about since I had bunions on my own feet at the time was a tapering toe box. So for Mm -hmm. your audience members, that's where the ball of the, the shoe gets narrower from the ball of the foot. He also taught me that the metal measuring device that we're using in America today, the Brannock device that you'll see occasionally in the shoe store, mm-hmm. it's it's literally made to fit fashion footwear. And I know the kind of work that you do, Katie, and I do sports medicine. So I talk less about fashion and more about functional movement patterns. And you can't move well in your body if your feet aren't lined up. And I know you know that. So Dr. Rossi got me thinking about, first and foremost, what I was doing to my own feet. And then I got to thinking about what if I can change my feet, which I have, and that's the nature of my work today. So I have to say he was my early uh, influence. He subsequently published three or four more papers before he passed away. He wrote uh, Why Shoes Make Normal Gait Impossible at age 92. Mm -hmm. And then he followed that up with three other papers in his mid-ninth decade of life, Children's Footwear, Launching Site for Adult Foot Ills. He talked about how we started early in life, fashion and foot deformation. Uh, fashion footwear, primary cause of adult foot deformity. And again, Katie, if you go through podiatry school, the, the deforming nature of footwear is heavily downplayed, if not outright denied. So when Dr. Rossi taught me about this, it was a huge mind-expanding moment for me, which I've since just built upon. I've sub- subsequently become um, very influenced by other folks who have done similar to what Dr. Rossi has done, like Dr. Um, Philip Hoffman, an orthopedist, went around the world and basically mimicked what Dr. Rossi did. You and I talked briefly about the ancestral health community, looking at like what we eat in our culture and more recently how we breathe or don't breathe properly. So uh, Dr. Rossi is who changed my mind about everything. I basically gave up surgery. I, I basically teach now as opposed to do things to people. So he was my early influence. I also found, too, in graduate school, the importance of a cross-cultural perspective when you're trying to make definitions and when you're trying to understand what's going on in a body that you look at a very wide range of bodies. And and the way that we've done research here in the United States, the fact that it was done oftentimes at universities, you know, so it would be on younger people, oftentimes in sports departments, often mostly male people, like you just did not have a very broad perspective of what feet were. Like you couldn't define the human foot based on this population. And of course, a chronically shod population that as soon as you start looking outside of that, a lot of your conclusions don't hold up across feet. They hold up across, you know, they hold up in this sort of narrow perspective. So I'm just gonna go back to that narrowing toe box In all of my books, you will see mention of toe abduction, abduction exercises, that's toe spreading. For those of you out there right now listening, look down at your hands and your fingers and then spread your fingers away from each other, as far away from each other as you can get. And toe abduction exercises is doing that, but with your feet. It's trying to move the individual toes away from each other. So um, I also mentioned toe spreaders. So that would be a passive device that you can put between your toes that helps support this movement, helps maybe even make it possible for many people who are trying to spread their toes right now and be like, I can't get them to move at all. So um, there's a wide range of toe spreaders or some that are meant to just be used short term, you know, like when you get, if you've ever gotten a pedicure or something that they push between your toes to hold them apart. 
There's ones that aren't meant to be worn for a long time that can be worn when you're sitting. And then you are the creator of Correct Toes, and that's a toe spreading device that you can even wear while you are in shoes, while you're wearing shoes. And so my question is, how did you come, like there's many elements, you know, that you could focus on. You focused on toe abduction, toe abduction. What was it about you personally as a person or something in your training that got you not only to really focus on that feature of footwear, but also that that movement or that skill as a person um, enough to basically make a, a second career out of it, you know, or at least a career addendum. Mm, yeah, I don't remember if I shared this at dinner, Katie, but I had, uh, I had a bunion and an overlapping toe. So for your audience, that's where my second toe was a hammer toe and it sat up on top of my big toe. And I hadn't thought my footwear was related because my podiatry training taught me that that runs in my family and that bunions are hereditary. But Dr. Rossi taught me that wasn't the case. Dr. Rossi taught me I should start looking at my footwear and realizing that it's not only not the shape of a natural foot, but really what changed my mind, Katie, was I was operating on about 10 people a week that had the same problems that I had. Mm -hmm. And so instead of teaching them to A, B, duct like you wisely teach in your book, we cut the adductor. So instead of rehabbing it and teaching it to do its job, we take a scalpel to it. And somehow I was conflicted by that. And I didn't want that on my own foot, mostly because I've seen some athletes get that and it doesn't turn out the way you want it to turn out. And so I got to thinking more along the lines of rehab potential, physical therapy principles. And so I started talking to the physical therapy people. I started looking into the osteopathic literature and so forth. And I started putting single silicone splints between my big toe and second toe. And I started wearing Crocs and I started wearing Birkenstocks because there were no good shoes then. This is like 22 years ago. And what were you wearing before then? What was your, what was your primary go-to shoe before then? Size nine Nike Pegasus. Wow. And, and, and I'm a 12. Wow. And then, and then when I ran, I've, I run long distance. So I was running <laughs> 5,000 meter track races with shoes that were way too small, holding my foot in that deformed position. On your so hooves, on your you tiny know, hooves. You're, yeah. you're, you're like, you're yeah. like wearing uh, rock climbing shoes <laughs> and then putting all those uh, miles on them. It's crazy what athletes do, not knowing how much better they could do if their footwear allowed them. So I was sure. Well, you're my... taught to suck up the pain. So why shouldn't it go for your feet too? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> well, what I've learned is that once our feet aren't in pain, we can shift the pain somewhere else and get a much better performance out of our body. There you go. You it's know? all about distribution. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's where I, I started changing my life, uh, Katie. And I started noticing my toes were changing and podiatrists told me that could never happen. You know, they told me what I had was hereditary. And <laughs> so thankfully I decided to experiment on my own body and it's been successful. This Now we've been out in the market to, uh, for about 20 years. To your point, our product is meant for activity. Yeah. So you put it in appropriate footwear and you line up the origin to insertion of all your plantar intrinsic muscles and some really fantastic things happen that I know you could co conceive of. Um, I love to show off my abductor halysis because it hypertrophied. Right. You know? It did exactly what the study said it would do. It got 10% bigger. So, and obviously my body functions better. I, I'm so happy to be able to get out every day and exercise and feel good in my body. And I don't think I would be doing that without Dr. Rossi teaching me what he taught me. And then, and then allowing that to get tapped into other people like you and your work and some of the shoe companies. And there's no going back now. No, no. Do you think podiatry is changing at all? Like, have you seen trends in yes. if you take interns or anything? 
I do take interns. Um, I've had one with me recently, and she said to me after the second session, why are we not learning this in podiatry school? So the younger ones are more interested, and they, they have literature that they can look at, which I did not have when I started rethinking my thought process. Um, there were no studies, and if there were, they were poorly done or small subsets. And if I ever quoted them, I was told I was cherry-picking. Well, nowadays, there's been so many reproducible studies on foot strengthening and toe spreading like you're teaching. It's like um, one of the problems, though, is, is podiatry is sort of incestuous in that we read our own literature and go to our own seminars and listen to each other. And to your point about cross-cultural examinations, I think we should have interdisciplinary examinations in medicine. Absolutely. And for everything, really. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I think if we did that, if we could tap into some of the uh, physical therapy studies and some of the uh, you know, biomechanical studies, not the podiatric studies, but yeah, the, the younger generation is changing. I received a very disappointing letter from the editor of the same magazine that I read Dr. Rossi's article in saying that podiatry schools are suffering a shortage now. And um, so I'm not sure what the future of podiatry is going to be. It's largely a surgical profession. We're teaching our residents three years of surgery. And unless they come see a guy like me or read somebody like Dr. Rossi, they're going to perceive of themselves as being purely surgeons. That makes me so sad. It makes me because feet are so important and relatively speaking, they are the least physically active part of your body and they're under the greatest load. So, so like they are asked to do the most, they are cared for the least. And now sort of the profession responsible for understanding their mechanics and how they work doesn't, uh, my my best friend was a podiatrist. She passed away, but but I mean, like I we've we spent like other other girlfriends might have hung out and did I don't know what we just sat around and read journals to each other and practiced foot exercises and talked about what do you do when you have a a withering away of the foot strength and of the science of the foot. The science of the surgery of the foot can be quite robust, but the science of the movement of the foot and, and the integration, the ecology of the foot just go, falls off the radar. Like I, I mean, that we are there. I mean, this is what it looks like. It looks like a very large prevalence of foot pain and a lack of, I mean, that's enough in itself, but then there's always... Um, some falling off of, I mean, usually with foot pain, there's other associated joint pain. Knees and hips and foot pain all tend to come clumped together. And then the metabolic health that comes from simply, I can't move my whole person around anymore because my foot doesn't work. And then as far as efficacy and aging goes, I can't do functional activities anymore, which means I can't live on my own or have sort of a robust end part of my life, all because of foot pain, all because of foot weakness, all because of a lack of just awareness of this tool that we've used every day of our life that we never read a manual on, you know, never knew that we had to oil it and care for it, just like all the other tools and sewing machines or auto parts that we sort of have a basic understanding. We just stuff these into our shoes and go. So I definitely, definitely appreciate you being out there, um, continuing to do podiatry, and maybe more people will go into podiatry knowing that they could be, there's a non-surgical way of doing it 
as well, or not as non-surgical, but beyond surgical way of being able to tend to people's feet. Absolutely. That's what I tell my surgical residents. It's not an either or proposition. You don't only ever do surgery or tell everybody to go barefoot. Every patient is on a spectrum. You're absolutely right. Um, I don't know if podiatry will or not. I hope they will. I'm certainly going to put all my effort into it. But we did start a natural podiatry group. It's an international group where we're trying to influence our young students. And it's been an eye-opening experience for me because I've learned that podiatry in America is very different from podiatry across the globe. In fact, a lot of podiatrists internationally are not surgeons. So they see a clearer path to embracing some of these uh, natural methodologies. Well, and, and, and as we were talking, you know, like if podiatry is surgery, of course, and someone's come to you for podiatry, it will be surgery. If you can't do surgery, you will see a different toolbox for podiatry. So again, words are challenging. You always have to clarify what everyone means. Um, so many feet have developed problems, I assume that you see many, I mean, that your office is full of them. What is your guidance on rehabilitation? Yeah, I would start with what is natural anatomy. I wasn't taught that in podiatry school. Most adult Americans don't know what that is. Most podiatrists don't know what that is. I saw a 72-year-old lady the other day that was surprised to understand that the shape that she came into the world with, widest at the tips of the toes, was literally this foot shape she should have for her whole life. And I told her about some of my international travels and getting out in the jungle where people hadn't worn shoes, their feet still look like that natural baby foot shape. So I always start with a footwear, which is different from traditional podiatry. I would start with putting the patient up at the treatment table, pushing on the tender area and making the diagnosis and then trying to make the pain go away. So we educate on the footwear. We teach people not to use the metal measuring device unless they're getting measured for a shoe they're going to wear at the wedding. We encourage them to pull the sock liner out of the shoe, also known as the insole, and stand on it. Look at look at how their foot relates to that. Then we talk about the design features in footwear that are harmful, elevated heels, shortening calf muscles, toe spring in the front, shortening the front of the calf muscle, causing hammer toes and so forth, tapering toe box relationship to bunions and tailors bunions and so forth. We Then we begin the process of... Um, Definitely, we give a good exam, we get hands-on, we try to figure out what the problem is, and then we set up a natural treatment protocol. We don't we don't discourage treatment, but we discourage treatment without rehab. Mm-hmm. In other words, we don't just try to make the pain go away without teaching them why did they get their pain. But quite frankly, Katie, if you could be a fly on our wall, we do very little to people. We just empower them with education. When they find out how their foot's supposed to function and what kind of shoes they should wear, if they're slow and purposeful in their transition period, they do really good. If they rush it, then sometimes they'll have some setbacks. But um, we, we basically educate people, which is really interesting because my first degree was an education degree. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought I'm never going to use it again. And now it's I use it and I don't do surgery. So we talk a lot to people. We touch people. We um, give them a take-home program. So we've got a shoe store here in the clinic. So after they get their diagnosis, we write out their treatment plan. We set them up with footwear. If they need toe separators, they get toe separators. If they need metatarsal pads, special socks, these kinds of things. And then we, we put them to work rehabbing themselves. And, and by rehab, do you mean exercises? Yeah. Yeah. So we have them doing toe spreading like you're having your folks do. We have them do the doming, the short foot, jonda, whatever you want to call that. But quite frankly, uh, a lot of people prescribed exercises don't follow through. 
In fact, today, several of them, they're like, yeah, I forgot to do it. Didn't get around. None of you listening. Everyone here listening does their exercises all of the time. Of course. Of course. Because they're, uh, this they're is for on the other Katie people. Bowman show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you have uh, an, so like all um, medicine, um, they would say, like I would say most, most healthcare pr- uh, like allopathic practitioners recognize the importance of movement and will mention it, like if not directly prescribe it or refer to physical therapy, but even like generally, like we need to be moving our bodies, but there is an adherence issue. There's an exercise uptake issue. What do you, what do you do about that? Yeah. This is what's so cool about this work, Katie, is I tell the patients, I'll show you the exercises. I've done videos on them. There's a bunch of write-ups in the medical literature. They definitely help. There's no question. But what I tell them is if they don't do their exercises, all they need to do is get their feet lined up and start wearing footwear that's going to challenge their feet. They will still get 10% stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I tell I tell them if you want to do exercises, great. You're going to get stronger quicker. You might get better a little bit quicker. And if you're an athlete, you probably want to. But the cool thing about it is if they forget to do their exercise, but they're wearing healthful shoes and their feet are naturally aligned, they're still going to get strength gains. So that's very cool. Whereas you might not like another part of your body, like a shoulder, you might, you know, cause you're not, like you said, you're not loading it. If your shoulder needed rehab, you'd have to do those exercises. Whereas our bodies, our foot, since it's our foundation, all we have to do is line it up. You're always exercising your foot. You know, you're, you're always exactly. exercising your foot. Even if you barely move, anytime you get up and move around, you're exercising your foot. And they have found that just putting on minimal footwear, not for not during athletic time, not during the runs, but just wearing to the grocery store, in and out of your car, you know, to work or wherever you might go. And if you do sit down, that's enough time to create an improved uh, strength in the foot, which is amazing, right? And I think that's why it's an easy step. You know, if, I, if I'm already getting dressed, just give me the shoe that I can buy to make me better. Like we're all looking for low, low investment of our time and our physicality. And that's great. But I, but I do, I still really stress the need to transition. I want to talk about transitioning next, what you would call rehabilitation, because I think a lot of times rehabilitation is for when people already have an injury where transitioning could also encompass those who are just making the transition and, and they can feel their body feeling differently in other parts because they have switched to minimal shoes and and trying to explain mechanically, you're basically exercising your entire body differently. And there are some things with, you know, you talked about biomechanical issues. There are biomechanical issues that can arise when you transition um, to minimal footwear without doing a, a lick of movement. Obviously there's some populations that can tolerate transition without exercise better than others, but what, do you have a really good transition protocol or is it pretty much the same as your rehabilitation protocol? I've got a protocol and it's based on broad parameters, Katie, and you might agree everybody's on a different timeline in terms of age, strength, balance, mobility, and so forth. So that is the most difficult thing I think in terms of coming up with the transitional formula is a 12-year-old child is going to transition so much quicker than a 65-year-old person and somebody who goes barefoot in their home is going to transition quicker than some folks actually wear their shoes in their house. So we've written several documents. Our partner, Natural Foot Gear, good friends of ours out in Asheville, North Carolina, have also written some fantastic documents on transitioning. But it, it's, it depends on all of those variables. In our clinic, we're, we're really treating a lot of runners. And so 
we've got some runners coming in because they are hurt. And so we can start from ground zero and rebuild them at a very slow trajectory. We also have some runners that are running 80, 100 miles a week, and they just heard something favorable. And so they want to start to make the transition. Their transition is going to look entirely differently because we're going to have to keep them in some of their footwear as we change their body. I think the most important take home that you perhaps would agree with is everybody has a different rate and none of it should hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, if, so if something's painful or, or, or people are limping, that's, you know, we tell people here, nothing should hurt. You, you said it very well. They should start noticing some changes in their body. And then we just try to add on a little bit more and a little bit more. I don't remember where the studies were that I looked at some years ago on how much a human body can adapt week to week with various stimulus. I think it's somewhere between 10 and 20%. And so that's kind of what we what we recommend here. If people are very highly active and they want to make the transition, we'll usually have them start their warm up for their run with their natural shoe or maybe barefoot, right. do the rest of their activity and what they're used to, or conversely, maybe they start their activity with their typical footwear. And at the end of it, during their cool down a few minutes, just start going, you know, less shoe, barefoot. The tendency, as you probably have seen, is way too much too soon because it does feel good. Mm -hmm. In fact, this time of year here in Portland, when the weather gets nice, people flock to the beach and the winters around here are not like Carlsberg. So we do get a lot of rain and people wear stiff boots. They haven't been very active. And then they go to the beach and either go in their bare feet and walk five miles and they haven't been walking much at all, or they'll go in a flip-flop and walk twice as much. And then they'll present to my office wondering why the bottoms of their feet hurt. And pre-Dr. Rossi, I would tell them, well, you're never supposed to go barefoot. Well, that's why your feet hurt and never wear unsupportive shoes. But now I know it's it's a training error is what mm-hmm. I call it. It's a lack of adaptation. Yeah. So I, I wish I had a perfect formula. In fact, I've laid awake at night at times thinking about trying to factor in all the variables that could help us come up with a perfect Let's do it. Let's do it. I, yeah. I, because I have a big sort of like, if you can imagine a connect four game where it's a grid, you know, I feel like we're all on a grid, but the grid needs to have a lot of, of uh, squares because the range is so big. And I think if people could see the grid and they could see movement volume, movement history, and also their their specific footwear that they've chosen, right? Like, as you've said, flexible sole is such a simple category for a very wide range of flexibility, right? Like you can have a flexible sole that's sort of flexible. You could certainly twist it all the way. And then you can find something that's like tissue paper. It completely crumbles up. Well, that there's, that's a whole line of progression. And so if people could understand the principles of movement and adaptation, which is what I'm all about across the board, if, once you can understand the principles of how we adapt to movement gradually, they could toggle themselves along this massive grid in a way that worked for them. Maybe they can't increase their total volume of movement a lot, but they could progress through the support of a shoe over time. You know what I mean? Or maybe they they can't for the, foot, where the way that their foot is presenting. They always want sort of a stiffer, flexible sole, but they can increase in terms of volume. And so once you can see really how malleable and all the degrees to which you can be moving your body more, be reaping the benefits of adapting your body to more movement in a scalable way. You're not trying to jump from one side to the other side too quickly. Because again, I would agree that the biggest feedback that I get is really something is hurt 
We went to school for a long time. We've read a lot of books. We've spent tens of thousands of hours learning about this, and you're trying to distill it down for people to benefit from it, but go to school on your feet. You know, read the book, read a couple books, read more articles. Skimming bullets isn't always the best way to learn something, certainly when it comes to physiology. Indeed. All right. Yeah. Well, what else would you like our listeners to know about when it comes to foot footwear? What, what, I mean, foot pain is so prevalent and people just wanting to have healthy feet. Like what, what's your, what's your recipe? I think the most important thing I want to get to your audience, Katie, and anybody that's, that cares about their body is that foot, foot problems are preventable most of the time. It's not inevitable that we have to suffer a foot problem. So that's really the, the, the most important piece I would like to get across. Second, secondly, and it relates to the first piece that is accomplished by learning about footwear. And then, you know, you can't, you can't have proper footwear unless it's properly fitting footwear too. So I guess I would encourage your audience to get, dive into our website in terms of the shoe characteristics and the fitting. Um, foot pain is not normal. You know, yeah. uh, it's very, it's very rare that somebody should have to tolerate foot pain, although too many of us do. So I guess, I guess I would say prevention is possible and pay close attention to your footwear. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing um, all of your knowledge. We'll point everyone. What is your website so that the listeners know? Uh, we've got two of them. We've got a clinical website, www.nwfootankle.com. But probably the better one for education and video would be uh, www.correcttoes.com. We've got a shoe list there. And uh, if anybody's in Portland, Oregon, come by and visit us. You don't need an appointment. We just come by and we'll, we teach people as a community service. Are you open 24 hours a day? That's dedication. I, I wish we were. We're not. <laughs> Five days a week, though. Do you have to get in like by putting your toe, your the sole of your foot up to like some sort of like, scanner and it's like, okay, we'll let you in now? Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. If your toes are not spread wider than the ball of your foot, you, you're not allowed access. I, I think it's opposite. But if your toes are spread wide <laughs> enough, just keep on walking. And but if you're, you, you know what I mean, it's so close. It's like absolutely, come on in. We have something for you. We can help you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Ray. It was lovely to talk with you. Thank you, Katie. Enjoyed it very much. Through his clinic and websites. So the websites are correcttoes.com and northwestnwfootankle.com. Dr. McClanahan educates on a variety of foot conditions, including many running injuries, as well as plantar fasciosis, Achilles tendonitis, shin splints, heel spurs, bunions, you know, all the greatest hits, etc. I cannot say this strongly enough to all of you listeners out there right now, whether you are brand new to movement or you're a seasoned athlete, a young adult, or a goldener. Prioritize keeping your feet as strong as you can. A significant portion of your lived experience depends on them. Be well. Hi, my name is Brock from Vancouver Island, Canada. This has been Move Your DNA with Katie Bowman, a podcast about movement. Hopefully you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such. Our theme music was performed by Dan McCormick. This podcast is produced by Brock Armstrong, that's me, and the transcripts are done by Annette Yen. Find out more about Katie, her books, and her movement programs at nutritiousmovement.com. And if you want to record this little outro disclaimer bit and be featured on the podcast at the very end, like right here, 
you can go to nutritiousmovement.com slash voicemail and record this little message and make it your own. Have fun with it. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash voicemail.